you turn to the book of Philippians, man, there are gold nuggets all throughout this book. Um, I like to call it the book of bumper stickers. Because basically every verse in this book could be put on a bumper sticker. I mean, it's that good. And a few things about this book that you should know. This is different from all of Paul's other writings. It's very different in this, in this concept that there is no but in the book of Philippians. In every other book, there is a but. And let me tell you what I mean by that. What I mean by that is, have you ever gone uh, or you've done something really great and you've come home and you've told your wife about it or you've told your friends about it or neighbor, hey, look at what I've done. And they say, man, that is awesome, but. Or, or you, you know, you're that kid and you bring home the report card and there's, and there's all of these A's and look how good I did, but there was an F in spelling or whatever it was. There's always like this but. And, and in a lot of, if in Paul's letters, there's always this kind of but where he has to deal with certain issues. If it's a, in the book of Corinthians and stuff, he's, he's dealing with things like authority and sex and, and people just kind of getting out of line in different things. And in and, and, and all of his letters, there's always this kind of um, where he's dealing with behavioral issues, um, things where people are getting out of line, uh, from, departing from the scriptures. Uh, but that doesn't happen in the book of Philippians. Philippians um, is often referred to as the book of joy. Because actually, if you look in every chapter, you'll find these two words that kind of keep coming to the surface, and that's joy and rejoice. That joy and rejoice. And, and so this letter is, is a thank you letter to this church in this town called Philippi. A beautiful, beautiful thank you letter that Paul is writing, and it's just full of just joy. It's full of just kind of just rejoicing and praising. Just I want to thank you guys, and he's just encouraging them and different things. And it's a wonderful, wonderful book that it means a lot to me. So this this week, whenever I knew that we were going to speak on it, I started studying, and but not really studying in the sense of I kind of knew. Uh, so much about this book that I just kind of started writing different thoughts, and I got to the end of it, and, and Friday, I had a stack of notes, probably had about eight pages of notes, and realized, this sermon stinks. Like, this is not what I'm supposed to say. So yesterday, I rewrote it, and what I'd like to do with this message and with this book of uh, Philippians is bring it really from a place where God has dealt with me in this book. And there's two things and two main um, kind of ideas that I want to get through with this book. And it deals with two things. One is this idea of joy. It's a book of joy. And another is the idea that this is a book of maturity. This is a book from a mature Christian writing a letter to other mature Christians or, or would better yet say, not mature Christians, but maturing Christians. People that are in this journey. Paul's preached to them. Paul has started this church. He's writing this letter. And, and there's a certain maturity about this letter. There's a certain joy about this letter. Now, the irony of that is for myself and maybe for people of my generation and younger, 
these would be two things that we would not connect together. Maturity and joy. Because a lot, a lot of times, when we begin to, to look at some, some, uh, some of these aspects of they're supposed to be mature Christians, the reality is we think in our minds, there's no way that I want to be like that person. Because they just lack all kinds of joy in their life. Have you ever seen that person that, man, they're supposed to be the, man, this is the guy who knows his stuff. They've been a, following Christ for 40 years, and they have never cracked a smile and yet these are kind of like, these are our leaders. Like, no, you guys are boring. I know you can't amen and stuff. That's okay. But I'm telling you what a lot of people are thinking, okay? I'm saying the stuff that you don't want to say out loud. That person that you think, oh, wow, they're awesome. And you look at their face and you're just like, why are you so sad? Uh, do you remember, there's this movie that came out a few years ago. Uh, I think it's Amistad. And you got Matthew McConaughey amazing actor that can really only play one part but he's in this movie but there's this part where the missionaries are coming off the boats and and there's this whole group of slaves that these missionaries are going to preach the gospel to and 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 they're they're coming in and they're saying all this stuff and and the african slaves they couldn't understand a word that they're saying And, and then in subtitles it translates what they're saying and and one of the guys says what do you think these people are talking about and the other guy says I don't know, but why do they look so depressed? (laughs) Now, I know you've never thought that about Christians. I know you've never met the mature Christians that have just looked like, wow. But this book is a book of joy. It's a book about maturing in Christ. It's a book about rejoicing, finding hope, no matter what. So, uh, again, book of bumper stickers Every, every verse really in this book sticks out. But what I've done is I've pulled just a few um, that really mean a lot to me personally. And, uh, and I want to talk about those this morning. So the book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Uh, Paul has started this letter with his um, kind of traditional, to all the, all the saints, to everyone's that there, grace and peace to you and the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's thanks. And then he says this in verse, six, in verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident. I love that word there. Hold on to that word. It's going to mean a lot. Being confident in this thing, that he who started it We'll finish it. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. It gives me hope for me. That when, no matter, it looks like I ain't going to make it, God. And when it looks like my world is falling apart, there's the reality that he is in control. Confident in this very thing, that he who started the work. Now, it gives this connotation that I didn't start the work. And see, sometimes we like to think that, well, it's by our own doing that we've gotten to where we've gotten to. That we are where we are because, well, we worked hard and we abided by the rules or we did A, B, C, and D or these things worked out and these things worked out. And, and God's saying, breaks. Confident that he who started the work. See, it was initiated by God. If you 
are here and you call yourself a Christian this morning and you are saved, the reality in the scriptures that teach this, that God ran after you. God came hard after you and that we all need him. You didn't initiate it. You didn't find Jesus. He found you. And he did everything he could to bring you back in. Being confident in this thing. And and I don't know about you, but it's so easy in this world that we live in to fall into the delusion that we can do it. That you can make it happen. That you can run a successful business. That you can be a good husband. That you can teach your children and you can all of these things you can do it we have the education we have the knowledge we have the means we have the technology we have the money blah 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 blah. we have the list i can do this thing you can't because when you take that good look in the mirror there's the all all of everything else fades away and you realize jesus i need you and paul used this word and i'm confident in this now Important because he'll later use this word again in chapter 3 when he says this. though 3 and verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anything else thinks that they might have confidence in the flesh, I even more so. In other words, if anybody, any of you think that you can do it on your own, let me tell you, even I, even more so, could have that confidence that I could do it. And let me tell you why. Because of this. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the Hebrew, of the Hebrews concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. In other words, I had my act together. I was the top choice. I've studied, I've learned. When it comes to following the law, I was blameless. When it comes to just having passion, man, I was persecuting the church for God. If anyone could have confidence in their flesh, I've lived this life of following the rules. And if anybody can do it, I can do it. But here's something that Paul says. These things that were gained to me, I've count them as loss. All of this, all of this whole list of reasons why I could have confidence in the flesh. The whole reasons why I can fall into the delusion to believing that I could do it on my own. All that stuff, I counted as lost. For the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. He, I'm confident in this, that he who started it will bring it to completion. Um, I think maybe one of my favorite examples of this is, is David's story. David in the Bible is this uh, amazing, amazing guy that sometimes we elevate to the, this hero status, but the reality is he was a normal guy. Matter of fact, he was a kid that was tending sheep in the field. Not only was he a kid that was just tending sheep by himself in a field, he was forgotten by his family. See, this prophet comes to town, and he's looking to anoint the next king of Israel. And he says, and he's kind of led by God to this house, to, to David's father's house. And David's father lines up all the other sons. And, and David, well, they just forgot about him. 
And to which the prophet looks and says, listen, it's none of these guys. Are you sure you don't have another son? Which, oh yeah, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. I mean, how would you feel if that was you? If your dad said, oh yeah, the other kid. Let's see if we could rile him up somewhere. He's out there just with the sheep. But surely it's not David. David comes to the house and he proceeds to pour this oil all over him. And and this is very significant in the Old Testament. This would be significant of of this is the anointing of God uh, put on David's life for the mission that God had for him, that he would one day be king. But here's what's interesting. See, we read that and we think, well, then David becomes king. No, David goes back to the field. He spends a number of years, not just in the field, but then he spends a number of years underneath the current king, which is Saul. Only to find that this king is throwing spears at him and trying to kill him. You see, David was kind of like Kyle. David was the musician, and David would go in and he'd play the, play the harp, and he'd, he'd sing, and it would, it would calm the king. It would calm Saul. And, but then all of a sudden, Saul would get mad and throw spears at him. And then... David did these things for Israel, for the king. There's this wonderful story of him defeating Goliath. There's the wonderful stories of all the wars and all the battles that he goes in. So much so to the point that people begin to sing this song about David. They say, listen, Saul, he's killed his thousands, but David, he's killed his ten thousands. And so David is kind of, kind of a rising name in the community. This irritates Saul. David finds himself in a cave, hiding for his life. When all of a sudden this moment comes and and Saul finds himself right there in this cave, David is there and David can kill him. David could pull out his sword, kill Saul just like that. As a matter of fact, people are encouraging him to do so. David, here is your chance. God has anointed you to be the next king. God has put him right here this is it. This is what's for you. Kill him. We will get out of this cave and we'll be in the palace. It's what God says. And you know what David does? He says, nope. He lets Saul go. He says, you know what? This isn't how I'm going to take the kingdom. If God's going to, God has anointed me for this, God's going to take care of it. And it ain't going to be on my own work, on my own strength. And see, this beautiful thing about David's story is David's story is filled with ups and downs. He goes from the field, he goes to the palace, and then back to the cave, only to go back to the palace, only to later on in life be ran out of the palace by his own son, Absalom, and find himself back in the cave. Now, some of us can relate to that. Some of us can know these up and downs of life, where we feel like, man, we're on top of the world, and then... The next week while we're out in the cave. And, and see, there's this moment, though, where, where David has, has just kind of followed after God. And again, he's being ran out of the city. And there's this, this guy that's throwing rocks at him and kicking dirt at him and, and, and saying all these curses to David. And, and David's surrounded by some mighty guys. These are warriors. And these guys are just waiting for David to say, can we please kill this guy? See, it's not like here today where you could just kind of, you know, hey, we'll call the cops on you or whatever. No, these guys, we'll just kill you. We'll just run our sword through you. And that's what they wanted to do. Cause this guy, and David's response is, no, don't do it. Let them curse me. It may be 
that the Lord hears it and decides to bless me. See, I look at the life of David, and I realize the life of David is one that he didn't try to make it happen. He didn't try to take the kingdom. And when it was taken from him, he said, you know what, it's okay. God, it's yours. He who started a good work will finish it. It's God's fight. It's not your fight. And, and Paul is echoing the same thing. Listen, we could have confidence in the flesh. You know, Saul is thousands. David, is th- David was a man of war. David could get things done. And yet he said, God, this is your fight. This is your battle. Paul's saying, listen, if anybody could be confident, but I count these things as lost. Christian maturity and joy comes from a deep knowing of where to put your confidence. Christian maturity comes from a deep knowing of where to put your confidence. Now, this is important because this this word confidence again. Let me give you, Paul is saying this to this church, that I have confidence that he who started a good work will finish it in this day of completion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why this is such a huge statement. If we were to flip back and look at the book of Acts in chapter 16, we'll find the beginnings of this church of Philippi. Uh, There is a group of women that have actually been praying. We're told that it's the Sabbath, and they are praying outside of the city, on the outskirts, by this river, and they're having their own little Bible study. Now, this would be important because in, in the major cities, the temple, the place of worship, it would always be in the center of the city. So these group of women have found themselves in a lot of ways as outcasts of the city, and they are down by the river praying and seeking God. Now, there's a certain lady there, and her name is Lydia. Now, she is from another town, and she finds herself at this prayer meeting. Now, the, the town that where she was from would have predominantly have been an of Asian descent. So here is this woman that is uh, of a different nationality than the rest of these group of, group of people in Philippi that has find, found herself on the outskirts of the city. And they're having this prayer meeting. And they're praying for, for, for God. And Paul has this dream in which God shows him this is the direction that you're supposed to go. You're supposed to go to Macedonia. Philippi was the city on the uttermost parts of this region. Paul, I mean, God is sending Paul to this area. This is what happens. Paul shows up. Now, it would normally be his custom to go in, and he would go right to the temple and preach into the, the center of community. Paul goes in to this women's prayer group on the outside of the city, and he starts speaking to these women. And this lady, Lydia, listens to what Paul is saying, and she takes it to heart. And the Bible tells us that her and her whole house were baptized and saved. And this is the beginning of the church in Philippi. Its beginning came with the outcast. Its beginning came with just a group of ladies that, honestly, people didn't expect much of. They were just having their own little prayer group down by the river. But this is what else takes place. Paul then goes into town and he begins to preach the gospel. And he's telling the gospel to these people. And it's not long before Paul is beaten, thrown in jail, and then kicked out of town. 
And this is kind of the end of his journey at the book of Philippi. That it started off with, well, just talking to this small group of women in a prayer, in a prayer meeting. To now he gets into the town, into which he gets rejected, beaten, thrown in jail, and kicked out. Now this is the letter back to that group of people. And so when he says, I have confidence in this very thing, that he who started the good work will bring it to completion, he's saying this, I have confidence that even though our beginnings were small, even though it was just this group of ladies down by the river, even though I went through all this, I was kicked out of your town, I was rejected, beaten within an inch of my life, and then left to go, I'm bringing you back this book and this letter of joy and maturity and confidence Confidence, not in myself, because if I was to look at the outside circumstances, outside circumstances was this place has major problems. Y'all kicked me out. Y'all rejected me. Y'all, y'all done this. The only people that accepted me was this group of ladies, foreigners that were, were rejected by the rest of society down in this small women's prayer group. And y'all brought me in and showed me hospitality. If I was just to look at those circumstances, man, I don't know if I could put confidence in that. But because he says that I am confident in him who started the work. See, that's a whole new look at it. A whole new look at our own lives. That listen, uh, whatever those dreams and those visions, those things that are in your heart, if you only look at the outside circumstances, man, you're going to get depressed really quick. Your joy is going to go down really quick. But when our eyes are fixed on him, We, like Paul, can look and say, I have confidence in him who started it can bring it to to completion. Christian maturity and joy comes from a deep knowing of where to put your confidence. He goes on to say this in chapter 3 and verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching towards those things which are ahead, I press to the goal for the prize of the upward call in God, in Christ Jesus. All of these things, but this one thing. Now, with this one thing, he really engulfs three things. I forget those things which are behind. I press to those things which are ahead. And I reach to those things which are ahead. And I'm pressing towards this goal. So you really can't separate these things. This one thing I do. After, out of all of the things that I do as a minister of the gospel, as, as, as helping and teaching these churches, this one thing, forgetting those things which are behind. This is the part where a lot of us get stuck. The forgetting. Now, I must say, this is something that, uh, this might even sound prideful, but I am very gifted in. I could forget just about everything. (laughs) I'm just saying. Devin can tell me something. Ten seconds later, I have no idea what she asked me to do. Did you do this? I don't know. See, all the times people, sometimes they'll they'll, they'll talk to me and say, Lucas, I want to tell you this, but you can't repeat it to anybody. No problem. I'm not going to remember easy we can forget these things but that's not that's not what paul is referring to here 
forgetting those things. See, when it comes to forgetting, there's two places in which people primarily get stuck. One, forgetting when it comes to our failures. When people come and they say, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know the kind of life I've lived. You don't know how big I've messed up. You don't know that my past involves drugs or prostitution or divorce or, or just unspeakable things that I don't even want to say out loud. And what happens is we get stuck there. We get stuck in that past. And it's like quicksand. It just, it just tells us that, well, we're not worthy. Well, I can't do these things for God. And, and Paul's saying, I forget those things. This coming from a guy who persecuted Christians who threw him in jail, doing everything he could to hinder the gospel. He's saying, I forget that. But he's saying, I don't also just forget about my failures. There's also the second type of person that we need to also forget our success. See, there's that person that they had a really good year 20 years ago, and they're still living it up. Oh, you know, it's that actor that was famous five years ago, and they're still living off of, and I forget that too. I forget all of those f- failures. Forget all of this success. What I am is here right now. Little quote for you. Wherever you're at, be there. Wherever you're at, be there. It's so easy to get stuck in the past. And Paul's saying, this one thing I do, I forget those things that which are behind me all of my past success, all of my past failures, forgetting those things. Why? Because I am reaching towards those things which are ahead. God's not through with me yet. I'm reaching towards my life. As long as there's still some breath in these lungs, God's not through with you. I'm reaching forward to these things which are, we've got to get unstuck. And what he's doing is reaching towards what the high call of that in Christ Jesus In other words, I know what my goal is, and my eyes are fixed on that goal. Paul has his priorities in check. Paul knows what his priorities are, and he keeps it, his vision focused on that. And this is the one thing I do. I keep my vision focused on this, Jesus Christ. This is where I'm headed. It's so easy to to stand up and, and say, well, these are my priorities. Priority one to uh, uh, God and family, uh, friends and church, or whatever your priority list may be. A- as a Christian, we could all agree on our number one priority is God. But then after that, you know, wherever you're at, easy to say, hard to live, easy to lose focus. And Paul's saying, this is this one thing I do. I keep my eyes on the prize. There was this... Uh, I'm going to get the story details mixed up, so please, a little bit of grace. There was a story of this woman, a very uh, athletic swimmer, who was swimming uh, a great distance. I think it was maybe the English Channel or something, going this incredible distance, 60 miles or or something like this. And she sets out to kind of set this record and and swim this great distance in in such amount of time. And and, and she's there, and and in the middle of the day, this, this deep fog comes over the bay, comes over the area in which she's swimming. And it's so, so thick that the boat that was kind of following right beside her, you could only see about two feet in front of you. And she's just, just swimming and just felt like it was going on and on forever. 
until finally she got to the point where I just can't do it. I can't make it any further. And then she gave up. She gave up and she crawled back into the boat. And when she got back in the boat and they started heading, only to realize she was only about 100 yards from the finish line. But the, the, the fog was so thick that she couldn't see it. In an interview later, they asked her, they said, oh, you know, you were so close. And you know what she said? If I could have seen it, I could have made it. I could have seen it. I could have made it. Paul's saying, this one thing I do is I keep my eyes on the prize. There will be everything in life to come against you to take your eyes off the prize. The fogs of life will come. But we have got to keep focused on the prize. We've got to live in such a way in which our actions match our words. Christian Christian maturity comes from not just knowing your priorities, but acting and living in a manner in which those priorities align. Acting and living in that manner. Paul's saying, this is Christian maturity. This is joy that I'm not just saying these things. This is this one thing that I do. I keep my eyes on the prize. I, I forget those things which are behind me. I'm reaching to those things which are ahead. And this is what I'm doing. I'm not getting them all mixed up. I know my priorities and my actions match my words. That's why he could say, follow me as I follow Christ. That, man, imagine just those words. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's hard for us to say those words because sometimes we know where we're leading people. We know where we're leading ourselves. But the reality is, we are fo- people are following us. As a, as a new father, I realize that more and more every day. <laughs> my, little, my little girls and just how much they're picking up. My hope and my prayer is that they're picking up a whole lot of Jesus from dad. Because they're picking up everything. Uh, just the other day, my little girl, Kobe, she, she's got this one not from her dad, but from her mom. Something goes wrong, and uh, Kobe, Kobe says this, Aw, man! Because Devin does that all the time. And it's just so funny. And we just laugh. And it's just hilarious to see that, Aw, man! She's, she's following us. She's learning from us. As a Christian, as a husband as a father, as a employee, as a man, as a woman, as a member of humanity. People are following you. People are looking at our lives. Our words and our actions have to match up. This is Christian maturity. This is joy. Because we'll find ourselves often very, very depressed because our words and our actions aren't in line. Because we're confronted with our own hypocrisy. And we realize, uh, and then we spend a lot of time wearing the mask, trying to be something we're not. Don't worry, I'll move on from that. And so Paul is saying this. I have this confidence that he who started a good work will bring it to completion. I have my priorities in line that forgetting these things which are behind, reaching towards those things which are ahead, I'm pressing into the high call of that of Jesus Christ. And the last verse I want to read this morning is probably one of the most famous, one that, eh, not the most famous, but you're going to know it. 
Uh, it's in verse 4, in chapter 4, in verse 13. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We've used that and we love that and that's a great verse. But the thing is, we forget about the verses right before that verse. And so I just want to read you what he says. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, last year care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to abase, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he saying here? He's saying, I've learned how to live on top of the mountain. I know what it's like to have my bank account full, my body healthy, to have everything going your way. I've also learned how to live in the midst of the ditch. When everything in life has gone bad and I'm hungry and I'm beaten and everything is against me and I am starving, I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, Chris, uh, and I'm going to have him do this again probably sometime next year or something. Chris told his testimony about um, his dealings with cancer. Those of you that don't know, Chris had stage four cancer. Uh, Brought into the hospital room. Uh, Every bit of the hair of his body was gone. Uh, He was a duke. They had stripped him down naked. And uh, I'm going to tell a little. Probably shouldn't, but I'm going to tell this part. He tells, I don't think you told this part in the testimony, but I'm going to tell this part. You know, here he is. He is, the blisters from the the cancer stuff, he can't, I mean, his tongue's swollen. He's got blisters all over his mouth. He's got it in his throat. He's lost like 200 pounds. I don't know. You know, maybe, I don't know. It sounds good. But he's he's laying there, and and he's he's all but gone. You know, he's he's stage four. And at Duke, their programs have it where uh, students come in, and they they learn there at at Duke from the doctors and stuff. And, And Chris was kind of on that that level where you learn when a patient doesn't make it, <laughs> this is what they look like. And uh, so imagine Chris is there, and I know it's hard, but imagine him naked. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But he's there, and he... But, but, but hold on with me for a second. Trust me. And uh, blisters in his mouth, sores all over his body, not a bit of hair, hurting and in pain and suffering. He has a small child at home. And these doctors walk in, and th- this is what you look like when you're about to die. And, and he has this moment with Carla, and he's just done. This is it. I talk about being in the pit. And I love what Carla says to him. Carla says, are you serious? That's it? What are you going to do? Can you praise him now? She's, she was basically saying, listen, it's, it's time to man up. 
this isn't it. It's not over. And see, he was weak. She just lifted his hands. And she was just saying, God's got you. It's not over. We can get through this. I know you've felt this humiliation and this shame of laying on this table and people have walked across and seen you broken, skin and bones, naked. You know, Christ was on the cross. There was no little loincloth. He was beaten to the point where you couldn't even recognize him. His beard pulled from his face. And Jesus is saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even though it looks like you've turned your back on me, it's okay. God, I'm yours. Carla's saying the same thing to Chris. It ain't over yet. He who started a good thing in you will bring it to completion. It ain't over until it's over. You've got to have the right perspective. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is one of the things that, as a pastor, for the first few years, I really, I really struggled with this because I told God, I'm so tired of seeing Christians give up. I'm so tired of seeing Christians give up when they say life gets tough. They're giving up because of flat tires or throwing in the towel because their house got foreclosed on. Or because this happened at work or they lost their job. Come on. Seriously? I don't mean to make light of that. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You can make it. It doesn't matter what pit you're in. It doesn't matter how bad your life looks. Trust me, it could get worse. It can get a whole lot worse. Have you laid on that table? broken stage four cancer with people telling you that hey this is what it looks like when you're getting ready to die you can do all things through christ we can build on a firm foundation that no matter what happens god you're in control being confident in this very thing, that he who started a good work will bring it into completion. Forgetting those things which are behind, looking towards those things which are behind, ahead of us, we press into the goal of the high call of that in Jesus Christ. We can do all things through Christ to strengthen us. You can, you can make it through hunger. You can make it through a full belly. You can make it through foreclosure. You can make it through being a millionaire. You can make it through whatever it is that you're going through. You can do it with Christ who strengthens you. Because he who started a good work will bring it to completion in the day. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org.
Come on, be.